Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Bergun. Today I want to talk a bit about RPGs, um, something that I haven't really talked about in depth before, but which I do, like, a lot of my background um, in playing games has really been in RPGs, but in the last 10 years or so, I took a lot of design lessons from RPGs and applied them to other systems. I really focused in on Euro games, strategy games, tactics games, that sort of thing, roguelikes. But a lot of that desire to make those kind of things in the first place, I'm realizing more and more, comes out of a love for often tactical RPGs, RPGs that have a bit of a strategy-ish game style set up to them. Specifically, what I'm going to be talking about a lot in this episode is... Um, what have been called CRPGs, computer RPGs. Sometimes they're called Western RPGs. I don't love that expression. Sometimes they're called American RPGs. Often these are put in contrast with Japanese RPGs, which are sometimes called JRPGs. Classic examples being like Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, um, and those sort of things. First, I'm gonna just quickly talk about that distinction and the kinds of RPGs that I'm talking about. Some examples, the most classic example, I guess you could say, at least, for me, is either Fallout, by that I mean Fallout 1 and 2, or possibly Baldur's Gate. Um, some other examples, Planescape Torment, the uh, early Elder Scrolls games, so they're not all isometric necessarily. Another one that's not isometric probably would be Wizardry, Arcanum, Ultima, definitely. In fact, actually Ultima is, uh, I haven't played as much Ultima other than 6 and 7 and Ultima Online, but Ultima, I know I've researched all of the Ultima games and they are really the quintessential um, example of the computer RPG or American RPG. We'll use the expression computer RPG or CRPG for this uh, this podcast. And, and so the way that they uh, are distinct from JRPGs is also the way that the thing that makes them interesting to me. And th that is really, if we look at my interactive forms, you know, the toy puzzle contest game. The cool thing about these games is that they really embrace the toy form uh, much more than the Japanese uh, counterparts. A good example is... Um, the uh, way that you can combine spells and make these weird character spell and character magic combinations in games like Daggerfall and Morrowind. So for example, I remember there was this jump spell and you normally would use it to jump, but you could, if you used it to jump too high, you would like break your leg on the fall down. So there's also a spell like that is called Feather, I think it was, and you could cast that in midair and then you could like basically fly by jumping like this massive massive height and then casting feather on your way back down or in arcanum as well uh there was so many different weird combinations of character creation that you could do um in those games or uh just an open exploration uh, so, so the first thing is exploring, you know, uh, character creation system and, and seeing what you can do with that. A lot of modern character creation systems are, are pretty limited and give you like, you know, just a very small amount of options. And it's really more like, do you want to be a fighter or do you want to be a mage? And maybe like you have a slight uh, modifications on that. But uh, a lot of these older games, 
Like if you look at the character creation for Arcanum or for Daggerfall, you'll see ex immediately what I'm talking about. The um, range of possibilities is just huge. Daggerfall is also an interesting example because it uh, it has randomly generated um, random encounters and uh, I think randomly generated dungeons and they're, they're like huge and you can get lost in them. It's also, I think, the largest world in any video game. And you know, that large thing, largeness thing can be, and I think probably in Daggerfall it probably is, can often just be like, oh, this game has, you know, it's like 500 miles wide or whatever, 50 miles wide. And then you actually go through it and there's not much to see there. Um, actually, that was an experience that I had recently. I'm going to talk about some recent games that I've been playing, but one of them is Witcher 3, and that game is well known for how large it is. It's something like four times the size of GTA 5 or something. And like on, that sounds great, right? But then you get to a big city and there's like literally only five things in the entire large city that you can interact with. There's so many, like the vast majority of doors are just paint, you know, like painted on. They're not actually doors. The vast majority of items you can't pick up or touch or interact with. You can't uh, steal from people. You can't talk to the vast majority of people. So Witcher 3 is, uh, is I, I, it's kind of, people call it an action RPG. And it's kind of a modern amalgamation of some uh jrpg elements and some crpg elements the one the one thing that witcher has in common with the games that i'm talking about is that the over map you can move around freely and you can kind of do stuff out of order breath of the wild actually has even taken on this quality it's kind of just like mind-boggling to think that um zelda is now has you know because zelda since link to the past has been extremely uh linear and so it's it's really great to see that it has embraced this sort of exploration toy vehicle so yeah i want to talk about some of the classics in this genre or games that i consider at least uh fundamentally important for this genre and then I also want to talk about um, some new games and also make some more distinctions with uh, JRPGs. I should mention also that I, I love JRPGs. I've I played all the Final Fantasies up until I think eight, um, and I, you know I beat them all. And I love the music, and I love a lot about the aesthetics. And um, and and you know those are games that are very linear, and they have some systemy stuff, but it's it's tends to be rather light. There's not a lot you can do with it. Uh, you you play them one way for the most part. Everybody's save file. And here's a good um, kind of a, a marker that you can put uh, for these kind of games. Like compare 10 different people's save file at, I don't know, 30 hours in, 20 hours in. And how different are those save files? And in games like Final Fantasy, I think that the answer would be that save files are quite similar. Whereas in something like Fallout or Arcanum, they could be wildly different. And, and that's kind of getting at what I'm talking about. They could have explored completely different parts of the map. They could have done quests completely differently. They could be playing, I mean, you know, people talk about the good and evil distinction, like, you know, morality systems and things like that. That kind of got brought into the console world uh, with games uh, like Fable um, and others. And there's a way in which that can be very um, one-sided and very, very actually not uh, an exploration device. But it can also be a, an exploration device because, um, you know, it can be this sort of 
moral explain, uh, exploration, not in terms of like, um, you know, the problem with fable and a lot of the systems are like, oh, build up your evil points and then you unlock all this evil power. But it can also be like um, an exploration just trying to figure out who your character is in this world. So back to JRPGs, my, my point is that they have a lot to love about them. Uh, but on the in terms of interaction, they are they tend to be very straightforward and tend to be very linear. And um, I would say that a lot of their merit doesn't come from their interaction. And that's not true of these other RPGs. A lot of these other RPGs, like uh, you could almost play them if you didn't even understand the 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 text and the dialogue. Uh, if you didn't, you had no idea what was actually going on. You could kind of play them as more along the lines of like civilization or um, crusader kings or or one of those kind of things. Which it's interesting. I've been thinking more about um, those kinds of systems like uh, civilization or um, recently I've been playing Darkest Dungeon a bit and how. There's actually more bleed over in terms of these kinds of systems, which I think a lot of us would think of as strategy games, sort of, or roguelites, maybe. But there's more bleed over between those and RPGs, uh, especially computer RPGs, than I think would necessarily be immediately obvious. And so I've been thinking about that more along those lines and thinking of them more as these strategy toys. So yeah, let's define... So JRPGs are typically, they're very much like video games. They're more console games. They started on consoles. They're simpler. They tend, and partially for that reason, I think, they tend to have like really uh, beautiful design. A lot of times it's more anime influenced, beautiful art. Because the story is kind of, they have one story they're telling usually. It's like, it tries to be a very like emotional moving story. Uh, they're very anime-y sort of plots, but... Uh, you know, they, they have their uh, the ways of being uh, evocative. Whereas computer RPGs also have that, but they t it tends to be a little bit, um, you know, their attention, uh, the, de the developer's attention towards any particular plot moment is divided up into um, many different uh, possible outcomes. So these games tend to have many different endings, and like entire chapters that the player might just completely miss because they're doing things out of order and they're they're just kind of doing their own thing. So a game like Fallout, for example, might not be as like anime heartstrings-y, uh, you know, uh, not to say that these games don't have great writing. I think actually Fallout is well known for having um, very good uh, dialogue writing. Same with a lot of those other games. A lot of those games were made by um, a couple of companies. Um, Black Isle was like the main company that made Fallout. Interplay was like the publisher. And of course, Bioware uh, made the Infinity Engine, which had Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, a bunch, a couple of other games, I think. But notably, um, Black Isle used the, uh, the Infinity Engine, which is that real-time with pause engine, uh, for Planescape Torment. Uh, so they're kind of like in this little, they work together. I think they were both published by Interplay, if I'm not mistaken. And so anyway, a lot of those people now work for companies like um, uh, In Exile and Obsidian, both of whom were just bought by Microsoft, which uh, that's a whole other uh, question and something to keep an eye out for that could be an extremely good thing for this genre that I'm talking about, or it could be like the death knell and they could just have them make Xbox games that are like more like uh, fantasy GTA from, from this point on, we'll see. The CRPGs 
you know, they were the first digital RPGs, really. Um, there were designers working on, really programmers, working on early computers in the late 70s, early 80s. Richard Garriott, uh, who the designer of Ultima, was one of them. Um, Surtech making uh, wizardry games was also an early uh, entry. Wizardry actually became sort of the model that design, uh, that gameplay design, uh, it was kind of the Final Fantasy, like menu-based combat sort of system. And um, actually, Ultima had that, had that as well, but um, it was a bit different. And uh, Ultima, Ultima uh, was less, was much more ambitious. Like every every Ultima game really tried some wild, strange, crazy new stuff. Wizardry was, I think, always a little bit more dungeon crawl fighting monsters that kind of stuff although i i really recommend taking a look at uh wizardry 8 uh i don't know if i mentioned that early on um but wizardry 8 is a is a weird one where they try to get take that first person perspective weird like dungeon master kind of gameplay but then take it into full 3d and like this open world kind of thing very strange game, but good. So from the early 80s, there was this underground sort of movement uh, that continued into the 90s. Ultima continued all the way into the mid and late 90s. Uh, in the mid 90s, they made Ultima 7, which a lot of people consider one of the most incredible, really, computer games ever made. It's like a it's like a Dwarf Fortress level uh achievement in a lot of ways i mean the, the entire it's not even apparent when you first play it it just might look like this really bad looking video game uh fantasy game but there's so much in that system there's so much interactivity i remember when uh oblivion came out um and people were talking about they had this concept radiant ai where the um the NPCs would try to kind of, they would do things during the day and they would have like a, a route they would walk and they would respond to certain things. And I mean, Ultima 7 had a lot of that stuff and more back in 1992 or three when it came out. And it, the entire environment was completely interactable. You could like, everything was destructible. You could, I mean, it's completely nonlinear. It's just, um, it was really a, uh, achievement and it shows uh that's that's the thing that 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 really i feel is often missing from a lot of new games uh, for obvious reasons but um uh well we'll talk about a little bit about those reasons but um you know th these these early crpgs were just they were very ambitious in uh in terms of their interaction um in a way that i don't know i, I feel like we don't get that as much these days we do have innovation and we do have, um, you know, certain kinds of ambition. Uh, but, uh, you know, this kind of like fantasy simulation toy uh, machine, um, I suppose we have it. It's just it's not it doesn't manifest in this genre anymore. I guess the paradox games are, are pretty ambitious. So, yeah, CRPGs are role-playing games. They tend to be um, Dungeons & Dragons influenced heavily, if not literally using the Dungeons & Dragons um, system. Temple of Elemental Evil is another good example, and that's one that does directly use a D&D license. Also, actually, Planescape Torment uses, I think, D&D 2.0, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Whereas uh, Fallout kind of created its own system i believe the special system so they tend to be isometric although not all of them are they tend to have party like a party of characters that you can control 
Um, and they tend to be big and open world and have all kinds of side quests and a lot of things that have been incorporated into the mainstream typical video game come out of these things. So recently I went on this quest to try to find, I, I, I was playing these very intensely throughout the uh, 90s, late 90s and 2000s. And, but in the last 10 years or so, I've, you know, really backed off from them, A, because they do take a lot of time, but B, because most of the companies that made these games kind of disappeared and went out of business. I know that Obsidian came back into play. They, they apparently appeared in 2003, but they weren't really making uh, things that interested me until more recently with this uh, wave of kickstarted games, which we'll get into in a minute. But first, uh... Uh, yeah, so what have I been playing recently? I've been playing a lot of these um, RPGs recently, looking for that experience again, trying to remember and find that that love and that passion for those kinds of games. So the first one I want to talk about is The Witcher 3. Um, I have a lot of problems with the theme of The Witcher, um, which I won't necessarily get into here, but, um, you know, it's just the, the idea of this uh, super dark world where everyone's suffering all the time and i don't know i i just get i've always got the impression from witcher and i, I played their card game also which actually i like i like uh, gwent is probably my favorite um collectible card game i've ever played um that's not saying very much but uh you know i can play it and i'm looking forward to uh, updates for the latest version of Gwent, which just came out. But yeah, that that kind of, uh, I, I just, I always get the impression that not only is it like super dark and stuff, but it's kind of very impressed with its own darkness. And it, it sort of expects me to be impressed by that. Like, you know, people killing their babies and like all this like super dark stuff. And I'm just like, I, it doesn't do anything for me. Like there has to be, it can't just be gratuitous, you know, suffering. It doesn't, that's, that's not, I don't necessarily just automatically think that that's insightful when something is dark. There's that. I don't love that. Uh, but I did get into The Witcher and I played, I think, about 16, 18 hours, somewhere in that amount. Um, definitely enough to, like, really sink my teeth in and start, you know, really exploring the system. And the biggest problem is that it's it's got more in uh, common with GTA, I feel like, than it does with uh, these CRPGs. So, first of all, it's an action RPG, and so, you know, the, the combat is kind of more along the lines of, like, a console game, and, uh, which is fine. I can get into that. I'm fine with that. Um, the character creation stuff is very limited, I will say that, so there's not, there's not a whole lot you can do with that. You pretty much have to be a sword fighting guy, and you can, you know, you can focus, I guess, on throwing bombs also, or on casting spells also. But for the most part, you're just a sword fighting guy. Um, and you don't get party members as far as I can tell. Um, and if you do, you certainly don't control them because it's like single player uh, kind of, uh, you know, like Batman style of gameplay. So there's that. And that 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 could all be fine. Uh, but the biggest issue is that, like I said... While it's a huge, huge, huge world, there's actually very little that you can interact with. Um, I, I found myself feeling like weirdly um, lonely while playing The Witcher because you enter this large city and you just nothing. You can't interact with anything. And uh, that's that's really kind of off putting to me. Uh, so it basically means that you have to 
you have to just go to the city, find the couple of mission hubs and just get do missions over and over again. So it feels more, in fact, in some ways, GTA feels more interactive because at least in GTA, you can, you have the cars and the cars can crash into each other. You can go off jumps and stuff. In this, it's much more like you're just kind of walking around in this box and it's pretty looking, but you can't do anything to anything or with anything or with anyone or um, so and it, and the other thing is that the the conversation system is also quite linear and quite um, that's something I haven't talked about yet but a lot of, that's another way in which these games tend to have really good toy value. My favorite example in this regard is uh, Planescape Torment, which I think has the best writing of any video game I've played. But more maybe more importantly, it has a lot of options like dialogue options that have to do with your character's background, have to do with your character's um, abilities, um, and also have things like. So you can, a person asks you a question like, do you want to do blank? And you can say, there's one option that says truth, yes. And then the second option says lie, yes. And so what that does, that kind of thing, truth and lie, for example, um, is it creates sort of like subtext and it sort of informs the system of who your character is as opposed to what they're saying out loud, which creates like this dimension to what's going on in the conversation system and, and who your character is. So that's something that's that sort of way to explore a system is not there in The Witcher. The Witcher, pretty much all it actually has in terms of exploration, it has a little bit in the system, the character stuff. And the item stuff, crafting, although crafting a lot of the times is is not so much an exploration. It's much more of just a collection uh, routine. Um, but it's mostly just about exploring the map, just going around on the map, going to these question marks and doing the missions. That's that's all it is. I mean, and so while I see some influence from the computer RPGs, I would not really call The Witcher 3 that. Um, more recently, I also played um, Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2, and both games um, have really great uh, tactical combat in the way that these games sometimes do. Um, it's almost as good as uh, Temple of Elemental Evil, which I, I really think had some of the best tactical combat of any of these kind of games. Actually, it was just really all about the combat. Um, in fact, it, it's it's quite like Temple of Elemental Evil in a lot of ways. Um it's also similarly very linear the way that Temple of Elemental Evil was. And that's my biggest problem with Divinity is that uh, it, it's the overall system is actually very linear. It's great that you can make different characters and you can uh, you can uh, it, it has so many of the trappings and makings and feels like one of those computer RPGs in many ways. But what you notice is you hit some hard fight and then you're like, oh, what do I do now? Because there's no random, there's no random encounters. There's no, um, there's nowhere to go. You're like, you've hit a bottleneck. So you have to like, what I have to do, and this happened in both Divinity 1 and 2 for me, I hit a hard fight finally. And then I just like have to go back and like scrape the edges of this linear tunnel that I was going in and like, see what I missed. It's like, oh, okay. There was a barrel here. Or like I can, I guess I can optimize my like uh, my loadout a little bit and like buy another item and like and um, there's no way to um, kind of go a different route and try something else. Uh, so it's very linear. And I think part of that might be because they were focused for some reason on the multiplayer, which I've actually heard several people say that they enjoy the multiplayer of Divinity. Um, 
I'm not doubting that, but I've, I've never played one of these games multiplayer and it, it sounds strange. Um, perhaps that's something that I really need to check out, uh, but it's just something I've never done before. Um, and, and to me, these games tend to be very much single player, sort of solitary kind of um, experiences where you're just exploring this system. I suppose there's no reason that that can't happen in a multiplayer situation, but, um, and actually, you know, come to think of it, I guess the MMO sort of generation, uh, people who, you know, grew up playing World of Warcraft and things like that, they may, a lot of these things that I appreciated about these systems perhaps were in those kinds of systems. Um, certainly the exploration element, um, and uh, and so they're used to playing these things in a multiplayer context. Uh, for me, they've always been single player. Um, perhaps that's something I need to challenge. But um, I do think that there is a special value to them when they're single player. Like you can dive into them. You don't you don't need to worry about whether someone else can play with you. You don't need to sort of navigate a social element, which I'm sure adds something, but also probably takes something away. You can just really dive into these systems and, you know, be whoever you want to be, sort of, and explore this thing and see where it takes you. I also recently have been playing Pillars of Eternity. I played Pillars of Eternity 1, and uh, this is by Obsidian. And they have... Pillars of Eternity 1 was kickstarted, and uh, it, it really does feel like kind of like Wasteland 2. It sort of feels a little bit like that, like, unfinished Kickstarter game feel. I, I did, but I could immediately see what they were going for with Pillars of Eternity. Um, that, that it was like, it was one of those things. They were trying to recreate that um, Baldur's Gate Fallout kind of experience. And I really appreciated that. And then with 2, 2 came out and was much more nonlinear because you now you're on a boat. And so you're like sailing around, uncovering this huge map and doing all these different things. And I have to say, Pillars of Eternity 2 is pretty much as good as any of those old games and it does what those old games do i have a couple of complaints with it um it has the real time with pause combat who i don't i don't know who likes that i don't it's terrible um it really should just be turn-based the way that divinity is is um but uh other than that and i guess uh, maybe sometimes the writing's a little bit verbose there's probably a little bit too much writing in general in terms of just you know making me read paragraphs and paragraphs of stuff uh i like that there's a lot of writing in terms of like you have very lots of dialogue options and yeah overall i i i really think pillars of eternity if you're interested in this this kind of game i really recommend uh checking that out uh it really is kind of the whole package the way that fallout one and two were um in this way and so yeah I've, i've been playing a lot of pillars of eternity too and it's really been inspiring for me uh, I missed this, you know, uh, the, I, I got really turned off by a lot of games. I should talk quickly about the later uh, Bethesda games. Um, so Bethesda was the company that made um, Daggerfall and Morrowind. That's Elder Scrolls 2 and 3. Um, Oblivion came out and uh, it really was not one of these. Uh, I mean, or it, it it made many steps. It took many steps in the direction of limiting the uh, the ways that you could uh, play with this kind of thing and, and really took it in the direction of like more of just like a console game, making sure everyone has kind of the same experience. 
They had stuff like globalized leveling where all the monsters would just scale up their health to whatever in the entire world to whatever level you were at. So no matter what, everything was always the same or it was it was supposed to be always the same sort of general difficulty. It also it just really pared down the systems a lot um, and did a lot of uh, sort of weird hard Cody things with the stealing system and it just, it, it still was one of those games, but it was just such a departure. It really felt like just a big step backwards. Um, you know, games like um, we had Ultima 7 in the early 90s, which was just such an achievement. And we had Fallout in the later 90s, which also was such an achievement. And then Arcanum really had, was so ambitious in terms of its character creation system. And then those companies sort of disappeared and Bethesda sort of went the way of console-ness and uh, Bioware. I, I also felt like kind of, I, not that I've ever really loved a Bioware game, to be honest, but um, games like Dragon Age really felt like a uh, sort of baby version, uh, baby's first version of these kinds of games. And of course, Mass Effect and, and um, none of those felt, uh, they felt like, hey, how can we take a, couple of drops of this stuff and put it into the console game for a mass audience. And I understand that. And I think that's, that has a lot of value to some people and uh, that's fine. But it, in terms of me and like this project of these computer RPGs, it felt like it was totally abandoned. Fallout 3 also felt, um, you know, uh, the, sims, the same kind of problems that I had with Oblivion. It was very um, on rails Um I think if I recall correctly, Fallout 3 was a lot more kind of linear, like literally um, in some ways. And uh, yeah, just everything became sort of consolified and uh, simplified and uh, and harder to really explore and do things in different ways. Um, dialogue in particular in these games became way simplified. And uh, so... You know, I, I missed that. And and playing Pillars of Eternity now, I'm I'm reminded of how much I loved those systems. And I kinda wanna make one of these things. And I, I've been I've had an RPG in mind that I've been thinking about and, and sort of building off on the side for a little while. Uh I had been thinking of it as a pretty small scope little indie RPG that um, was kind of like almost like a little art game kind of thing. Uh, and I like a lot about the world that I had, but now I, I, I'm, I'm really inspired to see if I can make, see if it's possible to capture what's great about something, some of these systems in a smaller package, something that's not going to cost a half a million dollars to make. And, um, you know, make a small sort of roguelike Western RPG. I'm also interested if you know of games like this already, I'd, I'd love to hear about that. One idea that I have, um, and of course, like, so the problem, actually, the problem with Pillars of Eternity is, if anything, the biggest problem with it is that it's, when Fallout came out, it was ambitious. When Ultima 7 came out, it was ambitious. When Baldur's Gate came out, it was ambitious. But now making Pillars of Eternity, which is really kind of largely a copy of those games, it's no longer ambitious to do that. And I don't want 
you know, just a Pillars of Eternity 3 to be the next thing where it's just the same thing with like minor improvements. I want that ambition, you know, um, how do we make systems, these fantasy exploration toys that are better than what we've done, like maybe significantly better. And so that's that's kind of what I'd be interested in looking into. And one of the ways that I think um, needs to be that needs to be done that is not being done you know, I feel like there's a there's particular kinds of people tend to make and play these games. You know, they they tend to be very often, I think probably a very heavily male user base, um, probably heavily white. And it's like there's, you know, th- there's still this sort of vestigial Tolkien-esque race stuff in these games um, where you have like evil races and and not just that, but like you also have the way that violence is treated, you know, um, it's interesting because I remember thinking back to these games and one of my uh, sort of standards for whether one of these games was like a real computer RPG or not was can you kill a whole town? And it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to kill a whole town, uh, although I did sometimes, but it was more that that was a marker that said, yes, this is really interactable. You can really change the nature of this world, but you could just like wipe out a town. And I do think there is value in that, but I also think that um, these systems, like the way that they approach violence in general is all screwed up. You know, I mean, one of the biggest problems is they put so much systemic weight on violence. So... In Pillars of Eternity, what can I do with conversation? I have maybe two stats that may give me a new conversation option, like one out of 20 conversations. And meanwhile, in fights, I have like 10 moves that I can use on each character, plus a bunch of different items. I can like swap inventory slots. I can move on a tactical grid. There's just so much going on in the combat area and there's so little going on in terms of uh in terms of uh you know conversation conversation is just like a very simple choose your own adventure sort of thing even in the best ones it's there's not much you can do with conversation and the other question the other problem is that and i think it's related to the first problem is that conversation and combat are two totally distinct um systems and you even have like combat mode that you can go into combat mode and i think that's just putting this weird highlight on combat and it's like the idea that you're going to go through a pillars of eternity or a fallout or any of these games and like let's say you don't want to fight people you know i mean you maybe the game lets you do that but how much of the game are you actually missing when you do that that's that's the issue is that like you're you're really barely playing the game if you're not fighting at least a little um because so much of the system is in interacts only with the combat system you know so many of your stats are just combat stats so i would like to see if there could be a way and i've started thinking about this a little bit already but i like the idea of integrating combat and non-combat options together um i also you know i i don't i originally was the original version of the rpg i wanted to make was completely non-violent 
and like not only was it nonviolent, but you didn't even like pick things up. You would just go and experience different things. And um, I, 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 one thing is about the, and I think there's value to that, but I think also it, there's a way in which you can only sort of be nonviolent if you have the option to have violence. And so I find the question of how do we make a system where maybe um, people either are compelled by the system itself to choose not to use violence or they, you know, maybe they do use violence sometimes and they have to sort of ask questions about like, is it good to use violence here? Should I use violence here? <coughs> you know, I think um, making a purely pacifistic game is maybe is maybe not as uh, you know politically a political panacea as as I would like. I think you know there is there are difficult, interesting questions about whether when violence of any kind should be used. And I think it's just kind of maybe too simple, uh, at least for the kind of thing I want to make, um, that uh, to have it have no violence at all. And then on top of that, like, I will also admit I'm coming out of this trend, uh, you know, uh, tradition of these totally violent D and D simulators, which D and D itself, of course, was originally a war game. And so on some level, I also just want to kind of make one of these games that's like, you know, or a game that's in this tradition. So, yeah, I, the, the big questions that I have going forward with making my own CRPG is like I have some ideas about how to make um, a big open world that's you can explore, you know, having randomly generated environments, a deep character creation system that would be doable where I tend to get concerned is that this feeling that like you can't just, you know, do the sort of daggerfall kind of thing and make a big empty world or the Witcher 3 kind of thing. You need to actually kind of have content for there, you know, to be explored. And so, but there is, you can also rely somewhat on emergent content. So, it's tricky, you know. Um, this is something that I'm I'm trying to figure out. Um, perhaps the answer is to make it like a short RPG that's you can explore a lot, but then it, uh, re, you know, you you finish your session and you start again, and it's different on a second try. Um, I do think probably like shooting to make like one of these 80 to 100 hour experiences like these games tend to be is probably out of scope for me just because you just have to have a certain amount of um content in this kind of a system i think in order to do that and i'm probably going to make this game almost entirely alone so but you also you want to create this feeling that there's a lot out there to explore so i don't know it's a it's a tricky question and i'm and it may not be possible. And uh, but it's something that I want to explore and, and think about. And I want to do something different. You know, I want to I want to make something that's in this tradition. But I think part of this tradition, especially as Ultima, the Ultima series, I mean, look up what Ultima was doing in Ultima 2 and Ultima 4 and Ultima 5. And just the th it, there's so many things in those games that you're like, what that? That was in a video game in like 1980. 
how could that be? You know, um, and I want to I want to try to make those kind of things because, I mean, those games are maybe those are the, the place I should look more for inspiration because those games, I can't imagine the first few Ultima games, you know, uh, I think they were made by very small teams and maybe they're, they're something like that is manageable. So anyway, that's that's more or less what I'm thinking about, about CRPGs recently. Um, thanks for listening. Um, sorry I didn't have a podcast episode last month. Um, I've been working on a lot of things. I actually have another game, which I've been showing to patrons a little bit. It's this little strategy game. I'm not really sure where to take that right now. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm having some friends play test it and see what they think. But, um, yeah, so I've been working on that and I've been playing video games. I mean, there's something I have not done in ages, but it's, it's good to get back to it. It's, I feel very inspired. Um, and I'm also in the last month I was finishing up Omnocronom, getting it out there. Um, I'm not sure what the future is going to be for that game. Um, whether I'm going to be adding a lot more to it or not. That's I need to do a whole other podcast on that. I'm going to probably write at some point some kind of postmortem about that game. I mean, I started working on it years ago, two or three years ago, and it's 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 a weird, complicated not thinking about that game and, and you know, how to where to go with it. You know, what am I trying to achieve? Um, and. Yeah. So that's another thing is I want to, I really want to, you know, I, I feel like I'm not going on the lesson of that was it was just so weird and it was so, it was too ambitious in, in a particular way in that, like, I think part of ambition is, is like working hard at something when you really don't even know where it's entirely going, but you like have this faint vision and you sort of believe in this faint vision of something. And I think you can do too much of that too, you know, like you can be too, you have too much faith in this weird esoteric, um, idea that only you can see. And I want, I really want for the next thing that I work on my effort to like sort of linearly be put into the system. And I don't want to be like deleting giant chunks of a system every six months and restarting, which is what the story of Omnacronom really was. So I do hope that um, that's another reason that I would kind of want to make a, something in in the genre of computer RPGs. And uh, so, yeah, that's my plan. Uh, let me know what you think of this episode. And um, I have more stuff planned soon. Um, so stay tuned and thank you so much to my patrons for making this show possible. I'll see you next time.